You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon, coming to you live on this 13th day of September 2021. Today we're going to be uh, focusing on Chapter 5 of the United Order, the Kirtland Catastrophe, and it'll be uh, pages 55 through 69. Now you can read this for free online at ogdenkraut.com, that's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And I have posted the text 
on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S. Let's uh, dedicate the program. We'll get right into the reading. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we desire truth. We desire understanding. And we ask thee, Father, to help us to have thy spirit that we may discern right from wrong and truth from error. We desire the kingdom, thy kingdom, to come upon the earth as it is in heaven. And Zion's redemption. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for all that thou hast given unto us, the knowledge and the blessings that thou hast given unto us. And we say these things and dedicate our lives and our time unto thee. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. It is not given that one man should possess that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. Doctrine and Covenants, section uh, 49, verse 20. It was in Kirland, Ohio, that some of the most important events in church history occurred. Here, the prophet Joseph Smith made his home, and from here, every major activity of the church was conducted. The planning of towns, performing missionary work, building a temple, and publishing information such as the Book of Commandments, the Book of Mormon, and the inspired translation of the Bible, which, by the way, according to several sources, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon said that they completed the whole thing, the Old and the New Testament. So when the church tries to say that it was never completed and that's why we don't use it, that's a lie, and it's provable. Uh, it's in the Times and Seasons. If you want to uh, go and take a look at 95 Thesis at ogdenkraut.com, uh, go on to that book and then type Find and Page Inspired Translation. All of the quotes are there and the sources, where it comes from, where Joseph Smith said and Sidney Rigdon talked about completing both the Old and the New Testament, the inst- the inspired translation, it was finished, regardless of what the LDS Church wants to tell you. Continuing on, it was also in Kirtland that the church obtained the rolls of the papyra, the papyrus, which came to be the writings of Abraham. And I have said this before, um, in the times and seasons, I think at the time, it might have been the Millennial Star, but they actually talk about if you, I think there was five scrolls that Joseph Smith had, and if you laid them out and you rolled them all out and put them end to end, I think it was 185 feet long. So in the 1960s, um, fragments of the book Abraham were uh, discovered. And if you put all of the fragments together, they're about three feet long. So when anti-Mormon types want to tell you that they have found the scrolls for the book of Abraham and that it doesn't say anything at all about what Joseph Smith said it said, 
because of the Egyptologists or whatever they're called, um, just know that there is something like 183 feet that is still unaccounted for, and they are lying to you. They are absolutely lying to you, and they are relying upon your ignorance to pull one over on you. And they're liars. And, you know, if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and I know that he was, he is the biggest threat to the devil's kingdom. So the devil will attack his character. He will attack uh, the things that Joseph Smith brought out. He'll attack everything uh, in order to destroy anybody's confidence. And the the sad thing about it is there are so many people that have had a spiritual testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith, but they do not study and they come across some anti-Mormon crap and they're like, oh, I can't believe that. And they just believe it and they throw out the witness of the spirit that they've had and they throw out Joseph Smith and they throw out the restoration and they throw out the the true Jesus and the true God of Israel. They throw it all out because Satan is always going to attack a threat to his kingdom. And Joseph Smith was a huge threat to his kingdom. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet because I, I humbled myself enough to ask, but I felt the influence, the fruit of the Holy Spirit when the missionaries taught me back in 1996. And when I asked God if it was true, the Holy Spirit burned through me like fire. And I was completely healed of all of my drug addictions, which thing I could not get over by myself in an instant. Now, real quick, I was raised a lot in a little town called Spencer, Idaho. It is 14 miles south of of the Montana line on the continental divide of of, of uh, Idaho and Montana on I-15 up in the mountains. The, the county that I I lived in growing up had 850 people in it about. My town had 30 people in it in the summertime, 33 uh, it fluctuated a little bit, but not much. And in the wintertime, there were about 11 people that lived in that town. And we did not live there every winter because the winters are brutal there. Um, and I would live with my mom sometimes, and I'd live with my dad a couple of times, uh, aunts and uncles and all of that. But But from the time I was two years old until I was 16 years old, Every summer and some winters, I lived in this little town. Now, why is that significant? Because the only water that the town had came down through a canyon, and the water filtration system was basically this uh, this shack with um, concrete walls, and the the wa- the water would fill up these little tubs, I guess. And then it'd spill over, and that was that was filtration. <laughs> so anything that died up up river 
the water was contaminated and we couldn't drink it. All we could do was bathe with it. You could cook with it if you, you know, boiled it. But if you drank it, you would get sick. They called it beaver fever or something like that. So we had a well, a deep water well with beautiful, unaltered spring water. And it was so good. But it had no chemicals in it. And the reason why that's significant is because the government puts fluoride and calcium and other chemicals in your water that calcify your pineal gland. My pineal gland probably has some calcification in it. Um, The more I live in not there, but other places, I'm pretty sure, you know, I've drank plenty of water with fluoride in it over the years. But when I was younger, I did not drink that kind of water. I drank pure spring water. My pineal gland is not calcified. The pineal gland is the kind of like the antenna of the spiritual to bring the spiritual into the physical. And there are treatments that you can take to decalcify the pineal gland. And when people do that, they begin to have vivid dreams and visions and the spiritual um, activity uh, to things like what I talk about with my visions that God has given me and uh, my uh, revelations and all of that. And I'm able to have those because I haven't been poisoned by this government water. And I am very sympathetic to people who do not have spiritual experiences because that's part of that's part of what life is supposed to be like, but a lot of people don't have it because the pineal glands are calcified. But I do know that people, many people have had spiritual experiences. They've had a witness of the spirit that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And for whatever reason, uh, because of the cares of the world and because of the lies of Satan himself and his imps, and I'm talking about his physical and his spiritual imps, People reject the truth of the restoration, but I know that it's true, and I just wanted to testify to you that I do know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. doesn't mean the church is true. The church has gone astray on so many different things, and part of this program is helping people to understand so that they can repent and turn back to the work, the first works that Jesus himself gave us instructions on in the, uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants and in the Revelations. So, and the LDS Church doesn't have all the, re- well, they do have them. They just don't want you to know about them. There were several revelations that have never been released uh, to the modern church, and they, the church will deny them, just like they deny the fact that the inspired translation of the Bible was finished, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so part of this program is trying to help people understand that 
that they've had the wool pulled over their eyes by Babylonian businessmen who are wolves in wool suits, business suits, who don't, they've monetized the gospel, basically. And they don't teach signs redemption anymore. In Genesis chapter 9 of the Inspired Translation, it says that when a people live all that God has commanded and build Zion below, Zion will come down from above with the church of the firstborn. Now, that's significant because in order for Adam and Andayaman to happen, which is talked about in Daniel chapter 7, where Adam comes down with all the holy resurrected prophets and apostles and all of that, the church of the firstborn has to come down out of heaven, and that can't happen, and that won't happen until there is a people who will live all that God has commanded. Doctrine and Covenants section 85 talks about the one mighty and strong who will come to set the house of God in order. It's it's, uh, section 85 verse 7. If Jesus says that he has to send this prophet who is mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, that means it's out of order. And the church either needs to repent or God will choose another people. And God is choosing another people because the church will not repent. So they can teach a lot of truth and you can feel the spirit at church when truth is being taught because the spirit testifies of truth no matter who says it. But it doesn't mean that the church is true. The gospel is true. The gospel is eternal. The church in all ages always goes into apostasy. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. When the temple was built in Kirtland, the saints enjoyed a modern Pentecost of spiritual experiences to witness the Lord's approval of its construction and dedication. It was also here that some of the greatest manifestations that have ever been experienced by man took took place. Ancient prophets holding the keys of their dispensations came to Kirtland to bestow them to this people. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 110. The church enjoyed peace and prosperity in Kirtland, but also persecution and terrible losses. The prophet was dragged from his house, stripped, covered with tar and feathers, and beaten. Page 56. The church experienced some of its most important lessons in financial ventures in this Ohio town. From 1831, it began to be, or it began with the Lord's program of the United Order and ended in 1838 with the terrible National Economic Depression. Bible scholars and preachers have all recognized that extreme wealth and extreme poverty are social injustice are a social injustice and also a moral sin. By the year 1830, there were many uh, communes or social organizations trying to establish some sort of common property arrangement. Most of these creations had already failed or were about to. Now, the Mormons would have a chance, but a cooperative society in which things are shared in common requires many to surrender control of their purse strings. This is a tender spot for man. 
Some men will uh, put their eternal destiny into the arms of of flesh with a recklessness that would astound dictators. But when their pocketbooks are are to be assessed, they speedily retreat. Well, and then there's the problem of you have people who take control and take advantage of other people and and steal and lie and cheat. So it's completely understandable that people have a hard time living the United Order. Also, we've had plenty of people that want to live the United Order with us, but they bring nothing to the table and want to leech on to us and take the things that we have so that they can start a united order, but they don't bring anything to the table. You know, and that happens as well. And it's hard because uh, we all work hard for the things that we get, and we're not living on the government dole, and a lot of people are, and they want to be part of a united order, but they don't want to do anything to contribute to a united order. So uh, part of the gospel is given to a, uh, to Adam out of the Garden of Eden is that you will work by the sweat of your own brow. And work is part of the gospel, whether people like it or not. It's part of it's part of the this whole plan. So anyway, but continuing on, among these other communal systems, such as the sh- uh, Shakers, the Harmonists, the Ephratidists, the Rapidists, the Separatists, Robert Owen's Socialists, etc., was Sidney Rigdon's society called the family. Rigdon and most of his followers joined the LDS church in the latter part of 1830, so when the prophet Joseph came to Kirtland in February 1831, he asked the family to break up the common stock principle and join a more perfect law of the Lord. See Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 146. Rigdon's family communal system was breaking up because everything was everybody's, and according to John Whitmer, they would take each other's clothes and other uh, and each other's property and use it, which brought a great deal of confusion and disappointment. Page 57. The prophet mentioned Rigdon's family in his journal. Quote, I attended the second lecture on socialism by Mr. Finch, and after he got through, I made a few remarks alluding to Sidney Rigdon and Alexander Campbell getting up a community at Kirtland and of the big fish that are eating up all the little fish. I said I did not believe the doctrine. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 33. In 1831, while the church was only a few months old, the Lord gave a revelation in which he said, Be one, and if you are not one, you are not mine. Doctrine and Covenants, section 38, verse 27. It was a hint that they were to become one not only in doctrine, but in temporal things as well. As the saints began to gather to Kirtland, Ohio, the prophet told them to be equal according to their families, according to their circumstances and their wants and needs. Then the Lord gave further instruction on their temporal unity, saying, It is not given for one man to possess that which is above another, 
Wherefore, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. Doctrine and Covenants, section 49, verse 20. This commandment regulating their temporal affairs was to be called the United Order. Even though it governed temporal possessions, it was considered a spiritual law. B.H. Roberts noted that, quote, by the act of consecration, according to the above law, and as afterwards developed, a man visibly and actually recognized God as the proprietor, proprietor of the earth, and by receiving back from such consecration a stewardship from God's visible agency, the church, he acknowledged himself but a steward over that which he possessed but he is accountable to God only for the management of that stewardships of that stewardship correlated history of the church volume 1 page 247 and we are now on page 58 any surplus development from this order would be used for community interests or added to the lord's storehouse for helping the poor aiding missionary work putting out publications, etc. The saints understood that this communal system was not meant to be an experiment or a temporary program. It was the order of heaven. This was a commandment from God, an eternal law. The saints were informed that if faith, repentance, and baptism were true and required obedience, so did the united order. However, the prophet Joseph Smith explained that the people of the church, quote, had no common stock business among us, that every man enjoys his own property. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 295. Therefore, to such questions as, do Mormons believe in having all things in common? He answered, no. See Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 3, page 28. Sidney Rigdon also wrote a letter denying the common stock principle by saying, quote, the old stale story about common stock in defiance of fact and truth. It would appear by your letter that that of your friend Evans is professedly believed by the people in the vicinity, vicinity of Waynesville, Ohio. This falsehood was invented by an ignorant blockhead by the name of Matthew Clapp, who, for want of any other means to stop the progress of truth in its more incipient stages, invented this falsehood. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 5, page 281. Later in September of 1843, Joseph Smith said, quote, I preached on the stand about an hour on the second chapter of Acts, designing to show the folly of common stock. In Nauvoo, everyone is a steward over his own. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, pages 37 and 38. Hold on here. Okay. Thus, the principle of the United Order, everyone would share the real estate, the facilities, and the capital gain, but each would be appointed as stewards over certain projects. Also, each person would have his own clothes, toothbrush, and personal items. 
everything was not shared in common. In a revelation to Joseph Smith on February 9, 1831, the Lord gave the following outline for the organization of the United Order. Number one, all property is consecrated to the bishop. Number two, the bishop provides for the poor. Number three, consecration is made with an an unbreakable covenant. Number four, stewardships over property are given to individuals or families. Number five, everyone receives according to needs. Number six, excess excess production goes to the bishop or the bishop's storehouse. Number seven, periodically all surpluses are given to the bishop. Number eight, those who forsake the order forfeit their consecration. Number nine, the surpluses would help in gathering others. Number 10, blessings here and hereafter would be received. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, verses 30 through 38. To better understand the process whereby men consecrated themselves and their goods into the United Order, we can take a walkthrough as though we ourselves are doing it. A man gives to the bishop all that he has as a consecration or sacrifice to the Lord. The bishop then considers the talents, gifts, and abilities of the man and designates a stewardship for him to manage. He may receive more or less than than he consecrated. His stewardship will most likely be coordinated with his profession a mason, carpenter, farmer, etc. The Lord says that the bishop should give to the people their portions, every man equal according to his family, according to his circumstances, and his wants and needs. Doctrine and Covenants, section 51, verse 3. Let's consider how this applies to different people, every man receiving Number one, equal according to his family. A single man would naturally require only a one-tenth the amount of food, clothing, etc. than a man with ten in his family. Yet, it would be an equal portion. Number two, equal according to his circumstances. If the order is blessed with great wealth, then they all share equally the same good fortune and their circumstances. If they are in an order that is poor, then they all share equally in those circumstances or conditions. Number three, equal according to his wants. A man who is a farmer would want a tractor, a plow, a harrow, a truck, and other farm equipment. A carpenter would want saws, planers, lathes, etc., Though each man would want different things, they would be equal in their wants. Page 61. Number four, equal according to his needs. Some may need a wheelchair or glasses, more blankets or books for education, etc. Each would be getting different items, but equal according to his needs. Neither the bishop nor anyone else had complete say as to how everything should be done. The Lord has said that all these things were to be done by common consent. 
Doctrine and Covenants, section 26, verse 2. This was the Lord's method of preventing priestcraft. Nothing was spent, given, or taken except by common consent of the united order, either by the individuals themselves through their ele- or through their elected officers. There are many, and there shall not be any part of it used or taken out of the treasury only by the voice and common consent of the order. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verse 71. The movement, I'm sorry, the moment some people receive community funds without the consent of the people, it either becomes a priestcraft or a dictatorship. The Lord calls this distribution of wealth the law of my gospel. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verse 18. This was considered to be another spiritual law, just as any other law of the gospel. Wilford Woodruff said he consecrated his goods so that he might be a lawful heir in the kingdom of God, even the celestial kingdom. End quote. Journal of Wilford Woodruff, December 30th, 31st, 1834. The Lord said to, quote, Remember the poor and consecrate uh, consecrate of thy properties for their support that which thou hast to impart unto them with a covenant and a deed which cannot be broken. Page 62. And insomuch as ye impart of your substance unto the poor, ye will do it unto me. Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, verses 30 and 31. Furthermore, he said, quote, All these properties are mine, or else your faith is in vain. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verse 55, and that's the Lord speaking. So he's saying that all these things are his, and they are. Everything that we see, everything on this planet belongs to God. Um, you know, people possess it, but it doesn't belong to them. Nothing belongs to us. All right, let's see. Each stewardship was to be deeded to the individual steward and secured by law, and if the person were to leave, it would be his right to have claim on that portion that is deeded unto him. Doctrine and Covenants, section 51, verse 5. This applies to his present stewardship rather than the original consecration, so that a rich man could not have power to disinherit disinherit the poor by taking his whole original consecration, which may have included large portions of land. This system was not only a law and a protection with spiritual blessings accompanying it, but it was also a very practical program. Ten farms united united would need only a couple of tractors instead of ten, the same would apply to tools and trucks and everything else right down to the breakfast table. Brigham Young said, quote, Instead of each one of a hundred women getting up in the morning to cook breakfast for the father and the, and the large boys that may go out to their labor while little children are, are crying and need attention, breakfast for the whole can be prepared by five or ten women with a man or two to help. 
Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 44. The Prophet Joseph Smith was encouraging men into the United Order by merely giving them an understanding of sound Christian principles by saying, quote, and we're on page 63 of the United Order, but this quote is Joseph Smith, let every selfish feeling be not only buried, but annihilated. And let love to God and man predominate and reign triumphant in every mind, that their hearts may become like an Enoch of old and com- comprehend all things past, present, and future. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 178 and 179. He also said that a great missionary work would result from this temporal endeavor because the best measure or principle to bring the poor to repentance is the administration of their wants. Joseph Smith also added, The nearer we get to our Heavenly Father, the more we are disposed to look with compassion on perishing souls. We feel that we want to take them upon our shoulders and cast their sins on our backs. My talk is intended for all this society. If you would have God have mercy on you, have mercy on one another. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 241. It was a rule of the United of the United Order that if a person wanted to leave, it was their privilege. Also, if they were not making any contribution to the order or were a detriment to it, they would be asked to leave. Everyone in the order was accountable for his actions and his stewardship. Orson Pratt explained, quote, When you come to render up an account of that stewardship to the bishop at the end of the year, there may be some prominent leading questions asked, but not about these little matters. It will be asked if you want or if you have squandered your stewardship unnecessarily, page 64. Have you been very extravagant in things unnecessary and negligent? neglected other things of importance. If you have done these things, you will be counted an unwise steward and you will not and you will be reproved and perhaps if you have gone too far you may, may be removed out of your stewardship and another person more worthy may step into it and you be dropped because of wrongdoings. Journal of Discourses volume 17 page 33. During these early years of the Kirtland period, the saints' effort, efforts were small but noble. They purchased the holdings of the old settlers that would sell and also bought government land when it was available. Most of the approximate 300 families in the church were poor, yet purchases were astounding. The temple site containing 63 acres was purchased outright by Bishop Partridge in 1831. Sidney Gilbert was in charge of the Lord's storehouse and acted as an agent in purchasing land. In November 1831, Joseph Smith organized the literary firm, an industry or uh, corporation in the order with stewards over it that was to print books for the work of the church. 
Then in the spring of 1832, Joseph organized a mercantile corporation and called it the United Firm in Kirtland and another in Independence, Missouri. Years later in far west Missouri, there was an agricultural corporation called Western Agricultural Company, which took in over 7,000 acres of land. Other agricultural orders were established with just as much land and under the same stewardship system. The mercantile stores in Kirtland and Jackson County were to serve as outlets for merchandise collected in stewardships. Um, page 65. Let's see here. The United Order was set up to carry on business mostly among the Mormon people. It is interesting to note that when Zion's camp was organized, the law of consecration was made a prerequisite for all its members. Everyone gave all they had to a commissary from which needed supplies were distributed. George Albert Smith recalled those difficult days in Kirtland and the struggles they had in trying to unite themselves according to this law. I moved to Kirtland with five families. The question immediately arose, where shall we settle? Why, right here in Kirtland. The Lord designs to make this a stronghold for a few years, and here we are to settle, which was the counsel of the prophet. The very first thing that occurred after this advice was that two out of the five uh, came to the conclusion that they had better go to the neighboring town because they thought they could gain some temporary advantage. To To chagrin, they went in opposition to the advice of the prophet. And in a few weeks, they were in darkness, and not long after that, they were numbered with the enemies of Zion and were soon using all of their powers for the destruction of the saints. He that gathereth not with us scattereth abroad. Joseph the prophet told us to go to the work and build up the cities of Zion and not build up the strange cities. Journal of Discourses, Volume 12 page 150 and that reminds me of another quote that joseph talked about how he said that it is not the mind or will of god to lay up another dollar for the building up of babylon the great we're not supposed to be lifting up gentiles we're supposed to be lifting up zion and the saints and um you know, having your stocks and bonds in in Babylon is lifting up Babylon. That's not what God's will is for us. And, you know, you might get rich doing that, but that's still not God's will for us. Anyway, continuing on page 66. The saints were the modern Israelites, and they were to build up their inheritance just as the ancient Israelites did. However, many money-making schemes and speculation efforts took their hearts away from these objects. Brigham Young recalled that this occurred with some of the Twelve Apostles as well. Quote, When the Twelve Apostles were chosen in this dispensation, they were told not to labor with their hands, but to preach the gospel to the nations of the earth. Some of them, before a year had elapsed, were engaging in trade, 
They became merchants and they apostatized. Millennial Star, Volume 30, page 626. The majority of the Kirtland Saints were not able to keep their covenants and stewardships in the United Order. They either forgot or didn't completely understand the principle of stewardship, which was so beautifully described by the Savior when he taught the following parable, quote, For the kingdom of heaven is a, a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. See Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30 in your New Testament. The parable goes on to show that the stewards who improved upon their stewardship received more, but the stewardship of the unprofitable servant was taken away and he was cast out. The Lord also uses this same illustration in our dispensation when he said, quote, If any man among you obtain five talents or dollars, let him cast them into the treasury. Or if he obtain ten or twenty or fifty or a hundred, let him do likewise. If it be five talents or dollars, or if it be ten talents, or dollars, or twenty, or fifty, or a hundred. The treasurer shall give unto him the sum which he requires to help him in his stewardship until he be found a transgressor, and it is manifest before the council of the order plainly that he is an unfaithful and unwise steward. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verses 69, 73, and 74. Brigham Young mentioned the difficulty of the Lord that the Lord had in finding wise stewards among the early saints. Quote, he, speaking of the Lord, has called upon the people to consecrate their property to see whether they would un- could understand so simple a thing as this. When they bowed down to worship the Lord, they acknowledged that the earth is his and the cattle upon a thousand hills and tell the Lord there is no sacrifice they are not willing to make for the sake of the religion of Jesus Christ. The people were crying this continually among the churches when the Book of Mormon came forth, and the Lord spoke through Joseph Smith, the prophet, revealing the law of consecration to see that whether they were willing to do as they said in their prayers. In their weekly meetings, they should... They have told the Lord how um, weekly meetings they have told how the Lord has blessed them and forgiven their sins, what glorious visions they had had, and have declared that the Lord was present, and that they had angels to visit them, and they felt so good that they would give all for Christ, said the Lord to the prophet Joseph Smith. See if they will give their farms to me. What was the result? They would not do it. Though it was one of the plainest plainest things in the world, yet when the Lord spoke to the prophet Joseph Smith, instructing him to counsel the, the people to consecrate their possessions and deed them over to the church in a covenant that cannot be broken, 
Would the people listen to it? No, they would not. But they began to find out that they were that they were mistaken and had only acknowledged with their mouths the things which they possessed were the Lord's. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 305. Thus, on April 10, 1834, the United Order at Kirtland was dissolved. Yet only 13 days later, the Lord gave a revelation to Joseph Smith concerning the Order of Enoch. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 104. The whole revelation was devoted to this United Order effort. The Lord seemed determined to have this principle lived, even if most of the people didn't. It began by saying, quote, Verily I say unto you, my friends, I give unto you counsel and a commandment concerning all the properties which belong to the order which I commanded to be organized and established to be a united order and an everlasting order for the benefit of my church and for the salvation of men until I come. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verse 1. The Lord wanted his people to become one, but they preferred preferred to remain separate, speculating, investing, and trying to get rich by the main by the many Gentile money making schemes. Page sixty nine. Elder B. H. Roberts summarized the reason for the great apostasy and failure of the saints in Kirtland when he said, quote, they had entered into that spirit of reckless speculation which for several years had been rife throughout the United States and which expressed itself chiefly in the land speculation and in excessive, excessive banking culminating in the disastrous financial panic of 1837. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 1, page 398. The results of the financial pandemic, I'm sorry, panic, was that millions of dollars throughout the area were lost and the sheriff was frequently a visitor at Kirtland and mortgage foreclosures followed each other in surprising frequency. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 1, page 407. Kirtland became uprooted and apostasy reached its highest point during these times. If the saints had lived true to the laws of consecration as the Lord had commanded in 1831, the catastrophe of 1837 would have been avoided. So that's the end of that chapter. Uh, When we come back tomorrow, we will be in chapter 6, starting on page 70, and that is the uh, misery miscarriage. Uh, For anybody who wants to call in, the phone lines are now open. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And uh, if you want to come on to ask any questions or make any comments, just push 1 and I'll bring you into the call screening room and you can ask me there uh, at any time. So... um, we have my wife and my son are manning the uh, studio on the phone lines. Also, uh, if you have a question or a comment and you don't want to come live on the air, that's fine. Just text it, to, or not text it, but in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. I will see the questions there 
and I will uh, just I'll read it on the air and then I'll give the uh, the answer or my opinion or thoughts on whatever it is that you have to say. So let's get into the preview for uh, for tomorrow's show or for the next show. Once again, we're on page 70, chapter 6 of the United Order, the Missouri, the Missouri miscarriage, miscarriage. And by the way, you can read this for free on your own at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T dot com. And I have posted the text for this at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. And you can also find the text for this at Zion's Redemption Radio Network, which is the page on Facebook. The Missouri Miscarriage. I received by heavenly vision a commandment in June following to take my journey to the western boundaries of the state of Missouri, and there designated the very spot which was to be the central place for the commencement of the gathering together of those who embrace the fullness of the everlasting gospel. End quote, Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 79. While the saints in Kirtland were attempting to live a united order, the Lord gave a revelation concerning a land of promise which would have no curse when the Lord cometh. The place had not been revealed, but if they would gather to the Ohio, they would be informed of this Zion later. And it was or it was revealed that the New Jerusalem, or Holy City, the capital of the government of God, would be located in Jackson County, Missouri. The Lord also revealed that this Zion could not be established except by obedience to the law of consecration, Another united order was attempted in Missouri, and the prophet dedicated the site for the new temple at the New Jerusalem at Independence, Missouri. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verses 61 through 64. Thank you. 